entrepreneurs, John and I have what I think is a privilege to talk today on our podcast to a personal and professional coach of mine. And I met John Dame, who is our guest. It was about a year ago or so I was introduced to him. He's a business strategist, a published author. He's a CEO coach who's spoken to over 500 CEOs in his lifetime and touches over 70 businesses a month, he would estimate. He's also a master Vistage chair. There's so many nuggets and so much wisdom to take out of this podcast with John Dane. Hey, John, welcome to the Entrepreneurs United podcast. Okay, thank you, Rich. Appreciate it. Well, I obviously have the pleasure of being coached by you. And I equally have the pleasure of having you on the podcast so that some of our listeners can get uh, some of the wisdom that I happen to get from you as a coach personally. But one of the things that we do on the podcast is just kind of warm up the listeners to you and your story. Talk to us a little bit about your journey and what got you to found Dame Leadership and where you are today. Yeah. Well, thanks, first of all. Appreciate being here. And historically, I was in the radio business, owned and operated radio stations, uh, particularly on the East Coast of the United States, and then sold those radio stations to what is now iHeartMedia. And then I started a network syndicating talk shows nationally, and I sold that to another public company. And went along with that transaction. I worked for them for a little while and found out that I really liked working for myself. I didn't like working in a big corporate environment, especially, and the company was great that that the last company we sold our network to was great, but they also had that public company really short horizon and uh, looking at the next quarter versus what the long term was going to be. And eventually what I did was I was looking at the Wall Street Journal one day and uh, saw an advertisement for Leadership Management Inc., LMI, and bought a franchise. And that ended up being a good experience for me also. But it was a, uh, what they did was they, they were mainly trainers for supervisory level people. I wanted to be more of a strategic planner, more of a strategic thinker in the organization that I have. And uh, while I was doing that, I had a bunch of customers that were uh, businesses in this region where I am in the uh, Northeast, and a number of them were Vistage members, and I went around to Vistage chairs and talked to them. Vistage is the largest CEO membership organization in the world. Uh, There are about 27,000 members worldwide now, and uh, one of the other chairs in this region recruited me to be a Vistage chair, so, uh, you know, Dame Leadership was originally born as a consulting firm, became uh, a little bit different, where today what we do is we do a lot of strategic planning for organizations. Uh, We coach a ton of people. Uh, Myself and three or four other people are the executive coaches that we have, and we've developed a, a process to help people get better, become better leaders and produce better results in a more purposeful way. Uh, We have a big event that we do. We do some leadership programs inside companies. 
And it's just been a great experience for me. You know, it's like, uh, I always liken it. I told you this, Rich. It's like going to Harvard Business School every day and uh, learning how to get better by being very intimate with a lot of companies. You know, the number of companies that I might deal with in any given month is approaching 70. So lots of companies, lots of different size companies, uh, different business areas and uh, you know, the same concepts apply to every kind of business. This isn't like, I, I don't need to be a specialist in a particular area. And uh, so it's been a great and a really good experience for me. I love what I do. That's great. And that comes through for sure. Uh, you said you work with on a given month, maybe 70 companies. And you said the same concepts apply to most companies in that way. Can you outline when you make that statement, what are some of the concepts that apply to all? Well, what we're not doing is uh, in a particular product area. For example, if we'd be working with a company, I don't claim to be somebody who can help them with their ERP system other than look at it as a large investment and look at structuring and organizing that, but I'm not a specialist in that zone. I think what we really do is enter most organizations that we enter at the CEO level. And our goal is to help them become better leaders and then their leadership teams become better, which have a dramatic impact on that organization's ability to produce the right results. And you know, we use an overarching theme. I mean, our purpose as an organization is to help people achieve the legacy that they want to wherever they are, you know, where whatever their thoughts are. So, uh, and what they would like to accomplish. And in looking at that, you know, there are people who reach a position, whether they're young or old, that say, gee, I'd like my work to be more meaningful. I'd like to make a bigger difference. And uh, how do we go about doing that? And that's what we can help them do is look at themselves as executives within an organization and help them with ideas and thoughts that we've gained from looking across all these different companies and taking those great ideas and maybe offering a suggestion here or there. But, you know, the goal that I have is to help you or anybody else be the best that you can be. You know, it's not what I want you to be. It's what you need to be as the best. And so, um, you know, I, I try, try not to be too prescriptive in, in what I do because I don't want to end up running somebody's company for them by proxy, which is not the goal. Well, and you had said one of the cornerstones is helping people become better leaders. And obviously that is a means to the end of helping people achieve their legacy that they want to wherever they are. So in your pursuit of helping people become better leaders. What are some of the themes you've come across that seem to be pervasive through leaders on where they need help? Uh, you know, generally speaking. So I, I always start with uh, people. I think to be a great leader, you have to be more self-aware. You have to have that emotional intelligence to be able to effectively kind of deal with all of the myriad of things that go on for leaders so that self-awareness first, and we all have blind spots, right? There are, each person's a little bit different. 
know, many times I see leaders, especially right now, are afraid to have what I would call candid conversations with their reports and downstream. I mean, I don't want to offer any bad news to anybody because it's hard enough to find somebody. And even though this is a problem person, it's my problem person. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to talk to them and make them upset. And so I find a lot of times that leaders forget that, you know, you know, your colleagues are starved for feedback, good or bad, you know, they're starved for feedback. They really look for it. And so, uh, you know, when I when we do our strategic planning, one of the questions that we ask is, how do you know when you're doing a good job? And when we get a little further down in the organization, but even at the higher levels, sometimes people say it's the absence of being yelled at. In other words, it's the uh, no nobody is uh, given me any feedback. So if, if I hear nothing, it must be OK. If I'm hearing something, it's not so good. And and that's not really good feedback, you know, at all. Uh, I think today also, so that's one area, you know, is I would call that feedback. It might, in to some others' ears, it might mean accountability, but each organization has, you know, different layers of accountability. Uh, I do think that people many times don't spend enough time thinking about uh, the clarity of expectations, whether that's through a strategic plan, just kind of an operational plan, but being very unclear with respect to expectations or maybe making it just as simple as, you know, we want to do $10 million this year. And to me, that's really not a plan. That's just, let's put a dart board up on the wall and throw some darts at it and, you know, see if it hits. So I think, you know, people who are great leaders can add additional clarity uh, to, to what's there. I think right now, another theme that I see that's uh, really developed in a big way is to maintain, you know, talent, to, to get great people working for you. You have to show them a pathway to success. That could be a career pathway, but also a development pathway. Like if I'm working for you, how do I get better? And in the past, you know, people were sometimes treated worse than the equipment. That people have. In other words, people did maintenance on the equipment, right? Like we know that if we don't oil this baby up, it's going to break down and then fall apart. And the human beings that work for us, many times people don't even give them that much attention. You know, I'd be an advocate. I know our accounting friends, if there are any out there that uh, listen to this, but uh, I'd be an advocate for putting uh, human beings on the balance sheet as an asset and treating them like that a little bit better. And if we could do that, then I think that we would have, you know, leaders who might pay more attention to people and their development skills. But currently, if you're not doing that, I don't think you, I think your organization is going to get left at on the on the train platform as the train has pulled out. So, yeah. you know, I, I think that that is the case, you know, so those are a couple couple of areas where I think that, you know, people need to pay attention today, themes that are there. Uh, you know, we can also talk about, you know, there are different saboteurs that uh, leaders all have, you know, we're kind of judgy. You know, we judge people before we get to know them, uh, if you want to think about that. But there are many other, you know, saboteurs that work against us as leaders. 
you know, that that help us be the best that we can be. It's kind of like our our the way that we're wound makes us who we are. And so there are many great characteristics that we have. But those same characteristics, if you put a little bit too much Tabasco sauce on them, end up being your worst characteristics and uh, working against you as a leader. So, uh, you know, that's a that's a circumstance that I think happens to a lot of people. And you need to be aware of those things. That's why coaches are good, because if you have a good coach, they can, you know, tap you on the shoulder and say, do you know what you're doing right now? You know, have you have you thought about this and, and uh, you know, uh, go from there? So yeah, very important. So, so John. <clears throat> I just want to make sure I caught this right because I think it's pretty awesome the way it kind of loops back around, right? Is helping CEOs become better leaders. Rich asked you, what are some major themes? And what I caught was self-awareness and and also what you ended up there, self-aware of also your saboteur, so you know yeah. kind of what's going on. Uh, being able to have candid conversations, feedback, accountability, radical candor, whatever you want to call it, but in that bucket of really good communication with uh, your teams, um, and, and tied to that was also clarity of expectations. And then the third one I had was maintaining talent, um, by showing them a pathway to success, which I, I love that as well. And it's a ma- that's probably a major highlight on people's, uh, sheets today, just based on what's going on with the great resignation and all those other things. And, um, as somebody who did get a degree in accounting, haven't really practiced it since then, I could be very difficult to put them as an asset. Uh, necessarily, <laughs> and it may not be the right idea. Uh, All accounts have to say a that. Long-term contract. You should not for that. be saying that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but they are an incredible asset. So I, I appreciate you going through that, and I want to come back to a couple of these. But before I do, uh, I got I got one question for you guys, both cumulatively together, and then one question specific for you, John. Um, you know, some if you were to promote a stock right now and say, "Hey, I think everybody should go buy Apple," I would want to disclose that I also own Apple. Um, you know, one of the things I've, I learned prior to this conversation is that John, you coach rich. And, uh, so I want to a, disclose that to our listeners, but, but B, I, I'm sure all the listeners have the same question I have. How did that come to be? How long have you guys been working together and rich from your perspective? Why John, like what, mm-hmm. why are you working with John and what have you learned from John through your experiences? Well, I'll start off, John, if that's all right. We have a franchise owner in Serta Pro who introduced me to John because he was so impressed with John as a Vistage chair, because John is the Vistage chair of the group that he's part of. And John occurred to me in that conversation as a real giver and very knowledgeable. And he expected nothing in return. He made himself available, and he just had a very open hand allowing me to explore whatever tools and knowledge he had without wanting to clock it and say, hey, here's how much money you owe me here. It didn't feel like the end goal for John was collecting money from me. It felt like the end goal for John was positioning himself to be an asset in my leadership growth and journey. And I didn't immediately start working with him. I ended up circling back to want to work with him uh, after I called him two or three times, not on the clock pain. And he gave me some really great advice. And I said, man, I need more of what John has to offer. So that's some of, on my end, what I've experienced. I don't know, John, if you have anything to add to that. I just, you're correct. I mean, I we collectively as an organization try to be agnostic about making money. We think that if we do the right things, 
we're going to end up achieving the right results for people. You know, this concept is not a new concept. I mean, if if you've ever read any of Patrick Lencioni's books, he has a book that's called Getting Naked. And the story is about uh, a consulting firm that is Patrick's firm out in San Francisco that gets, uh, you know, bought up by this big firm like Bain. And ultimately, uh, the little firm kind of outdoes the bigger firm in terms of margin and profit and how they approach things. And, you know, one of the things that jumped out at me was uh, in that book was that from the minute they walk in the door with any potential client, even in the prospecting phase, it doesn't matter. They treat the client like they're already a customer and uh, give them whatever you can give them. It's all free, right? And uh, good things will come from that. And we found that ultimately in terms of building relationships, which are so trusting and intimate, you know, with a coaching relationship that, uh, you know, you got to start from a position of trust. When I talk to people up front, and I did this with Rich and I would do it with anybody else is I, I don't talk about what we do in a coaching relationship. I talk about the values that I have to see if they match up with Rich or anybody else in terms of how we'd like to engage with each other from a value standpoint. And if we can't cross over that bridge, then I'm not going to, you know, we can choose who we work with. Right. And, and you want to work with people who a, want to make a difference. And, and, you know, we're pretty clear on those, the, the kind of people that we want to work with because we want them to make an impact. You know, we look at our business, like putting, throwing a pebble in a pond and the ripples expand out. And if I can make one little bit of difference with Rich in what I do, he can go to his organization and make uh, impact there, but then all of those people in that organization go home every night. They can make a difference in their homes. They can make a difference in their communities. And that ripple gets bigger if you treat people and value all those human beings that you work with. And I think that, you know, we don't get much of that today in our world. I mean, it's kind of a, yep. you know, let's lob a few nuclear bombs at each other and, and mm-hmm. not really listen to what people have to say. And so I think that ultimately that's what makes a difference for us and the approach that we take. And we train anybody that we work with that that's the way we want to do it. I mean, you know, we're here to, 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 to serve people and make a difference. I love that. I, I love the model. And I heard recently, and I'm not sure if it's exactly the right quote, but I think it's a problem with our society is being kind means giving to somebody without any expectations of anything in return. Yeah. And what we see a lot in business is, well, I sent them three leads and they never sent me any, so I'm not working with them anymore uh, type of attitude versus the give. And if it's meant to be and there's an alignment of values and there's an alignment of wanting to work together, you'll work together more. And yeah. if not, you gave and you were kind and that is the way you conduct your business. So I love that. I mean, we... Uh, we sometimes get the question of, oh, I, you know, I see you're running this Entrepreneurs United podcast. How are you guys making money? And the answer is like, well, we're not. Um, that's not the point. The point is we want to learn and we want to give back and 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 help others. And and so I love that motto and it, it speaks well to us. I've never read Get Getting Naked though. I will. That's uh, one of Patrick's it's books. It's a little book. You know, it's one of those little fables that he perfect. Lencioni writes and 
you can read it in a sitting or two. And I think you find out if you, you know, if you want to be in business and want to make a difference and, and uh, have longer term customers, that's the other side, because when you really, when you, when the relationship is built on more than just we're counting, we're counting beans on either side of the relationship. Do I get it? Do I get this? You want people to get value kind of, it's an intangible thing, right? Relationship is intangible. Yeah. Love it. I'll definitely, like one minute manager type of book I love. So I'm, I'm all over this one. Um, I want to come back here, John, for a second. Um, you know, we're all made from our experiences, good and bad. And you talked about your broadcasting history and then you start Dame Leadership. And, and I'm missing some pieces there that I'd love to just kind of learn a little bit more about your background. Um, did you develop some of your leadership and coaching skills um, in the process of running those organizations and said, look, I, I have something here that I've learned that I can bring to others? Or did that also kind of manifest itself by, you know, one, you know 500 one-on-ones with CEOs I see in your bio, right? Working yeah. with 70 companies and, and you're, you're kind of going to Harvard Business School every week and you're, be, you're able to kind of propel that energy and those learnings as you move forward. Or what were those experiences maybe that you gained as an entrepreneur and as a leader that you felt, you know, you want to give that forward? Well, an example that might be helpful. It's 1982 or around that time. And uh, it, the radio stations we owned were a family business. My dad and I owned them along with some partners, but we were the principal owners and the operators. And uh, 1982 came and, you know, we look at inflation where it is right now, but the interest rates at that point in time were in the, I'm going to guess for us, we were paying 14 to 16% on money that we borrowed from a bank. Wow. And uh, as a result of that, we were unable to make principal and interest payments to the bank and ended up in the workout department of that bank. Now, that's not anything that I'm proud of, but what I did find out is what it feels like, <laughs> uh, the things to do not to have that happen. And uh, we eventually worked our way out of that and, and paid the bank back. 100% of what was owed them and really expanded to a much larger broadcasting group up and down the East Coast. And uh, out of that experience, you gain a lot of insight, you know, like whatever you want to call it, it's wisdom, but also some personal grit. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, I was the general manager of a radio station, but I had to write on a phone on my desk, uh, yeah. nothing happens until you make a sale and collect money. Because I, that, my, you know, all the good things that you would like to do, like uh, all the managerial owner things that you'd like to do, I had to put aside because I had to focus on what was going to be the most important thing to keep us viable as a business at that point in time. And, you know, most people today in running a business haven't lived through uh, any kind of inflationary period and had the impact on their businesses. And so, you know, looking at those kind of things, I think there's wisdom in that. I, I would be not telling the truth, though, if I didn't say, since I've been doing this now, you know, I probably spent 40,000 hours in front of knee to knee with CEOs, minimum. And so that amount of time, that amount of conversation, and I'm always curious, you know, that's the other side, that I do ask a lot of questions. And, and so I'm just not there to say, 
hey, here's a great idea. I want people to to stimulate their thinking uh, through a lot more questions. So it's probably a combination of experience, certainly with buying and selling a lot of companies because we bought a lot of businesses, and then and then uh, you know sitting in front of a lot of different types of businesses with a lot of different kinds of CEOs and uh, kind of understanding from their perspective what's important. And, and that's where, you know, that's our sweet spot right there, you know. Great. Thanks for sharing. John, I quoted you the other week with one of our podcast guests, and I didn't quote you by name, but I did say I learned it from a great coach of mine, was your definition of strategy. And I don't know that it's yours, but I learned it from you. So it's yours uh, in my book. And it's the allocation of scarce resources. And I asked our guest named Merit Khan, who was an uh, emotional intelligence expert. I said, you know, there's strategy, scarce allocation or, of uh, uh, allocation of scarce resources. And then emotional intelligence, do you have anything that's a short definition of it? And her answer was, well, yeah. And she kind of lit up and she had said, how well do you understand your own emotions and how they impact others. And as an emotional intelligence expert, that's what she said. I would be curious, and I didn't want to put you on the spot and go, hey, John, what's the quote you have for emotional intelligence? Do you have one that is as concise as you do for strategy? And if not, what do you think about merits? I think merits is great. You know, from my perspective, emotional intelligence today is being able to understand your own emotions, reading the room, and being being able to not get so triggered, right? Because we're all triggered. I mean, you know, I know for me personally that if I get triggered, uh, some of the great characteristics that I have end up showing up as not so great characteristics. And, and uh, I believe that ultimately, if we're able to maintain and, and kind of understand who we are, and understand those emotions, and then also effectively read a room well, and being able to feel feel what's happening in the room. I mean, you know, many leaders, and I'm sure you both have seen it. I'm, I'm sure anybody listening to this has seen it. Uh, are tone deaf when it comes to actually looking at a group of people and saying, "Well, this is not." doing so well should we should we change up something and you know uh, being emotionally intelligent you you can adjust effectively to kind of be more effective whether it's in communicating or emotional and and you know from an emotional intelligence standpoint if you look at the research and people respond not only to our verbal cues but also all the nonverbal cues that we have you know so if I walk in and I'm the boss and I talk to people I coach about this, people can tell by the time you walk across the office, whether you're in a good mood, whether you're in a bad mood, what's going to happen today. They've read, they've read your resume before. And so they can respond and you have to kind of uh, be able to emote a better sense of well-being to people who work for you. Uh, because, you know, they, they want some hope. I mean, you know, people who work for you want to feel like tomorrow's going to be better than today. And if you're grumpy and, you know, upset and, you know, 
for whatever good reason, it could be a perfectly good reason. You could have had your car stolen. Who knows? But, uh, you know, still, you know, we got to rise above that as leaders and uh, project a better face on things. John, I, I couldn't help but notice that a connection that we have in common, all three of us now, is Michael Alasso. Mm-hmm. And I know he does a lot with Vistage. Uh, is that how you got to know Michael? Because everything you're talking about right now just speaks Michael yeah. Alasso, Michael uh, well, Alasso, yeah, Michael Signals. So Michael, many years ago, you know, presented uh, to my Vistage groups, and I got to be friends with them. Actually, my uh, previous assistant, who who uh, ended up having a couple of kids and cutting back on the amount of work that she wanted to do, uh, became Michael's assistant. I introduced oh, cool. her to him, and so uh, Sarah is great, and she she does all of Michael's travel. So, you know, Michael is a pretty special guy when it comes to kind of showing up. For those who don't know Michael, Michael is a producer, Broadway kind of show producer who actually works with CEOs on their executive presence and how to show up a lot better. And I've never seen anybody any better with the skills to take people he doesn't know very well in a short meeting and be able to make them do things that they never thought they would be able to do in terms of uh, uh, looking, you know, kind of a little bit different or how they might approach things differently. So Michael's a pretty special person, I think. John, you know how sometimes it's like, and both Johns, I suppose, it's like the universe is speaking to you at times when like things just show up, right? So John St. Pierre had a relationship with Michael Alasso and we had him on the podcast and I didn't know him at all prior to that. Well, the franchise owner who was in your Vistage group, who introduced me to you. And then I came to find out, and totally separate, and then I came to find out at the time, you guys shared an executive assistant. And it's like, wait a minute, I think the universe is speaking to me to engage with these two guys. Like, how does that even happen? That completely separate spheres of my world introduced me to two people who share an executive assistant. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it's like uh, six degrees of separation. You know, we're, we're not very far from anybody. So, you know, it's a, I'm glad that happened. Yeah. Well, I will say uh, I, I engaged at that point. And Michael Alasso, as I think I've told you, John, uh, was the keynote speaker and host at the Serta Pro conference this last year. So certainly engaged with him. I'm actually going to a retreat of his in May. And John St. Pierre, his retreat, Michael Alasso's, is why I'm going to be in town so you and I can get together uh, with our wives and go out in May. So I certainly engaged with Michael Alasso, and then I engaged with you, John, on coaching. So I felt like, at least in that moment, I was listening to the universe when I was talking to him. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one of the things you gave me... Uh, of physical substance, among other intellectual property, was the book that you wrote. You're a published author. And you had sent that to me before I became a client of yours, because I had asked you about strategy. And the name of the book is Fast Track Strategic Planning. And I think a lot of our listeners are interested in strategy, but strategy can be 
evasive and confusing and misquoted. And can you clean some of this up for us on, and I feel like I'm more clear, but I want to hear it from you for our podcast listeners, but I'm more clear as a result of working with you. But can you clean this up on where strategy lies for a business and its importance and what it is and how do you access strategy and creating a strategic plan well? So I wrote that book a couple of years ago because my experience was that uh, many times people engaged with facilitators to do a strategic plan. It felt like, you know, the Bataan death march that people went on its long, tedious way to get to kind of action that would be meaningful for the organization. And, uh, you know, we still continue to use purpose as our overarching theme in everything that we do, you know, kind of looking at the purpose of an organization, the big why that people want to do what they want to do. But uh, what we've done, and I'm happy to send anything that anybody wants uh, free, you know. That's kind so, of it. So, uh, what we what will what I what I think is this the strategic plan in in our world starts with a vision, and it's a a vision of a future point in space that the organization is going to be. So, I don't think this needs to be business speak. I think it needs to be written up in a way that paints a word picture for the people that you want to have come work for the company. So you can talk about the kind of company that it's going to be, the kind of people that are going to work there. Uh, you could talk about how much revenue you want to have, but you might also talk about the culture and what it feels like to work at this company. Uh, you might talk about any unique differences that you see in three to five years, you know, will be driving around in electric cars that will be doing whatever it might happen to be that might be some future point that you see your organization meshing and, and paint this word picture. It, it, you know, I like visual representation. I mean, it's, they can have photographs in it, whatever would work. From there, what, what happens is then we look at, and it depends on how long somebody wants to work, but you could come up with a list of kind of strategic initiatives for five years then three years, then one year. And we break them down into bucketfuls because so often people put a plan together. And especially when uh, a high percentage of people are very action, you know, are very tactically oriented. They want to get to the action phase. And uh, this is really a lot of fun doing this, but what the heck do I do here? Just tell me what to do. Point me in the direction and I'll get it done. And so what we try to do, and many plans are like this, this is not magical by any stretch of the imagination, but we try to break the plan down into quarterly buckets that are attainable for people. Because if you take that five-year plan, try to get it done without really breaking it down further, you end up with a lot of work that's being done in the last year or six months of a long-term plan. And there isn't a way to take the plan off the shelf quite frequently enough to talk about it. And I do think that the plan needs to be a living plan. So Rich, to, to the point that you made, I think as many people as possible need to know about the plan. This is not a super secret, you know, top of the company plan that we go, 
you know, we're never going to show you this. This is too important and too critical. So I think as many people need to be involved in the planning process as you can. And I do think that uh, uh, we suggest that you put the plan on a page and I'll be happy, you know, if you guys give my email address, we'll send anybody a one page plan and a little outline of the process. And if somebody even wants a book, I'll send them a book. But ultimately, in the end, uh, you know, what you want to do is have a plan that when I hire somebody, I can show them this plan. Every quarter, we update the plan. Because if you think right now, you know, you look at all the things that have impacted American business that are significant, you know, the big kind of three are going to be supply chain issues, kind of employee stuff. And by the way, the the great resignation might be the title there, but it was happening before COVID. This is not like a new thing. It just has been exacerbated a bit by COVID. Uh, and then I think, uh, you know, inflation certainly is the third of the triumvirate here. And and all of those things can be impacted. But I do think that uh, these things will have a way of fixing themselves here. You know, I know there's some things that are going to be done. But, you know, uh, yesterday I saw an economist speak uh, at, a, at a regional Vistage meeting. And, and they're talking about kind of normalizing the rate of growth. We've had this extreme rate of growth right now in the economic environment. and uh, having a chance to get caught up with all the supply chain issues and then having a chance to, even if we do pay more people more money, I mean, when you look at this over the past 15 years, the average income for people has not gone up that much. So people were due, you know, in terms of uh, if you're honest about it, no, nobody likes to pay people more money maybe, but I do think that, uh, you know, keeping people up with a fair wage, you know, whatever that might happen to be, both at the starting levels and and beyond that is something that's important. And, uh, you know, all of those things, I, I think. So strategy starts with vision, kind of narrows down over uh, some time to what you do this quarter and then update what you do next quarter. There are going to be things that happen in the world, in your business space, in your environment, uh, with your company that may change what what's going to be happening. You know, uh, if you're not thinking about technology right now, whatever that might mean for you, I, I think that people are looking for ways to make work easier for people and looking at things like uh, and I know people think it's a lot of crap and stuff like that, but uh, whatever cryptocurrency is going to be, you know, in the future, I think the American government's going to have uh, a, a crypto, some sort of currency that's going to be digital, digital, digital currency that we're going to use at some point in time. And if you poo-poo that today without even thinking about the way that's going to impact your business, something will happen that you'll be left in the lurch you know, as a, as a company, I mean, you know, we can all take the blockbuster story and the Kodak story and all that kind of stuff and say, okay, these companies, you know, didn't really look at the technology and, and make it happen. I mean, you know, but, but that's a lot of businesses, right? So we have to kind of do some scenario planning and say, gee, where's the technology going to be in the future? What's this going to look like? Right.
Yeah. So John, in, in, just to kind of come back, A, I'd love to get a copy of your book. Um, yep. I'm a big, big believer in, in strategic planning. I'm even more so a believer. And I think what you said initially when you first started talking about it, which is you got to make it simple and easy for the organization on its own to develop a strategic planning process. Uh, because if it becomes one of those where they don't know how to do it themselves, they don't execute it on a routine basis, and they bring somebody in every four years to kind of develop a strategy for them, it becomes kind of this exercise that no one really buys into versus when you're updating it quarterly, it's shared within the organization, everybody's on board with it. Um, you know, so I'd love to learn a little bit more about the process you've developed. Um, I've been following a process with our companies, which is more uh, on the Rockefeller uh, habits a, and the Scalable, the Growth Institute and their model yeah. and template. Uh, it seems like yours follows a very similar uh, yeah. pathway and would love to share those notes. Yeah, we've, we've done a bunch of work with, I mean, the, the, the ones that I see that are most visible in the community are, you know, one that you just discussed, which is Vern Harnish with his scaling up process. And, you know, certainly that's great. I mean, I'm, I'm agnostic about exactly which one anybody wants to use because you have to go to where they're the best. Yeah. I do think it's better to have a facilitator help. Uh, mm -hmm. I think if you're the CEO and you're trying to run your own strategic yeah. plan, I think that ultimately you influence too much. Or if you have somebody within the organization, I think it biases things a little bit more unless the facilitator is not very good, which could happen. Yeah. But, you know, the, the, the ones that I think are most viable in the marketplace, I mean, you know, we like what we do, but uh, EOS is great. You know, Entrepreneur's Operating System, Gino Wickman's book. And uh, I think that uh, Vern Harnish's Scaling Up is great. And, and those are two that are clearly established pathways that people can implement. You know, you can read a book and actually do that. Correct. And implement it if you chose to. And uh, I, I think it, it is helpful to find a facilitator, but they're all they're all good and they all have similar characteristics. You know, what we're what we're doing is uh, kind of perfecting ours as we go forward. It's changed a lot. So, as a matter of fact, we're going to look at rewriting the book because it's been updated since I wrote that book. And and uh, uh, I do think we we believe that some touches with the companies in between the times that we help facilitate programs allows us to know more about what's going on within the organization and also to help make sure that we're not they're not drifting off course because yeah, yeah. you know one of the biggest obstacles that happens to people who do the plan that with well-intended get going fall off the horse because there's so many other pressing things that are happening like the day job that they have is so you know gargantuan that you don't end up following through on your plan and then you wonder why it's not working and you know what we want to do is remind people about the key initiatives if we need to limit them we limit them but you know you want to make a difference moving forward and and i think that uh, more often what we find is that we ask people to bite less accomplish more and you'll get more done you know you want to just make sure that you accomplish every quarter at least 65 75 80 percent of what it is that you wanted to accomplish that quarter. You got to find out why you're not getting the rest of it done. I'm curious, John, I've never asked you. So what better place to ask than on a podcast? Do you have a coach? Yeah. How uh, many coaches do you have today who coach you? 
So at this moment, I don't. Uh, up until about a year ago, uh, I uh, for a number of years, I had a, a coach that was located in Denver, Colorado, worked with a woman there. And, uh, you know, as I was looking at kind of identifying, uh, so I, uh, the way I met her was she did an online program that was called Contribution Quest, which you looked at what you, your contribution in your lifetime might be. And so I started working with her. That, this is more than seven years ago. And what she did was help me look at who I was, what I stood for, and what the key components are that I wanted to accomplish. Out of that, one of the big things that came out of that, which you know I'm proud of and she was too, is the Evolution Leadership Conference that we do every year in October. You know, we've had as many as 750 people show up. We do it. It's a full day session. It had many iterations over the first six, five, five or so years. Now we're down to a single bigger day than doing maybe two or three events. And we're looking at how to spin this up a little bit bigger as a as a idea in terms of doing it just beyond the one big day. This year, it's October 4th. Seth Godin is going to be and he's going to talk about the difference in being a leader and being a manager, you know, which uh, Seth Godin's a well-known author, speaker, you know, and he's going to come talk. We have a full day CEO panel, but that came out of this. And also in terms of how I facilitate, how I show up for the groups that I work with, uh, kind of came out of that coaching session that, uh, you know, it's been a little, it's been about a year or more since I've actually worked with her. And, uh, you know, I'm open to finding another coach right now. I just haven't taken the time to do it. But yeah, I, I absolutely don't believe I want to be the cobbler who doesn't have nice shoes, you know? So, uh, you know, that, that for me would be what I'm, what I'm thinking about. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in closing, I would love to hear from you, what is the one message that you feel all entrepreneurs could benefit from hearing today in today's environment, given all the things that you know and all the things you don't know? If we could broadcast this one message across all entrepreneurs, what is it? Well, the one thing that I would suggest that people do is, you know, certainly I think to run a business in today's environment is a daunting task at moments. Uh, I think everybody thinks it's simple, you know, to run a business. And the truth is, no matter how big or how small they are, they're fairly complex things to actually grab a hold of and improve every day. And, and you know, the, the, the big message that I would give people is to, one, it's hard work so that you're going to have to stay at it all the time. Two is you can't do it alone. So often new entrepreneurs have a tendency to be everything people. I mean, I've done it in the past myself, but you end up emptying the trash cans and paying the bills and making the sales. And if you want to scale your business, you cannot do things that way. So one would be hard work. The other one would be, you know, kind of can't do this alone. You're going to have to have other people that you're going to have to trust to make this go forward. 
and then uh, the the other idea that I would have is you just have to kind of have some grit uh, because I do think that no matter how good you are, uh, there are going to be moments where this does not feel like it's fun, and and uh, I think that you're going to have to be gritty to move forward past those times without losing kind of your enthusiasm and the kind of energy that you have for your business every day, because, uh, you know, there are no business that is, I've ever worked with that don't have good moments and bad moments and bad things happen that you could never even imagine. I mean, it's gone great. It's gone great. Oh my gosh. You know, how did this happen? What, why, why are we in this position right now? You know, whatever that might happen to be. The last thing I will say is that, and this is just a little bugaboo for me, is that uh, so often people don't really develop good, what I would call financial acumen. And I believe that to run a good company, you know, the, the basic framework of the company is how you're able to maintain, manage the finances of the company and know all the details associated with that. And uh, I don't think you need to be a CPA to do that. I mean, this is you know, adding and subtracting and dividing, you know, things that you need to know. And I do think that the fundamental kind of flaw that shows up in a lot of businesses, they really don't have a grasp. And I encourage people to look at three things. You know, one certainly is the P&L. The second one is you have to pay attention to your balance sheet. If you're building value as an entrepreneur today, uh, you have to look at your balance sheet. I mean, you have to understand it. You know what that means. And the third thing is, and this screws people all the time is they don't look at their cash flow and you can be a profitable company and run out of money. And I don't want that ever to happen to anybody that I work with. So. Excellent. Thank you, John. Hard work. Can't do it alone. Grit and financial acumen. Appreciate you coming on today. And I know our listeners got a lot of value. Thanks guys. Appreciate it. Please stick around for a few more minutes while Rich and I break down this episode. John, I was so happy to hear that the way that John Dame ended, he added financial acumen on at the end. And I kind of saw you light up a little bit like, there it is, because I know uh, how important and well-studied you are in that. And he had recommended three things in financial acumen. Look at P&L, look at balance sheet, and look at cash flow. And I was wondering, I just wanted to hear your perspective. I wanted to bounce that up against you with your understanding of financial acumen uh, as those being fundamentals. What are your thoughts? Yeah, no, I love it, right? Basically, that one message was, look, business is very difficult. It takes a lot of hard work. Don't do it alone. Have financial acumen, right? And I think, and grit, have that grit. And when you when you throw in that financial acumen component, I think that a lot of times entrepreneurs find themselves gritting it out, but they don't know what they're trying to grit out because they don't have that financial acumen. And then they look at their PL and they say, oh, wow, look at our revenue numbers. They're up 20%. But what they, and then they look at their net profit and they're like, look, our net profit's up. We're doing great. But then the bankers, when they ask you for your numbers, say, well, show us your balance sheet. And they look at the balance sheet and they're like, oh, this is a little bit ugly. Uh, you're, you're really on a you know stick house here. And and so on and on and on, the, where he ended with was the net cash flow. And then you were, at the end of the day, you know, the saying that I love the most is revenue is vanity, profit is sanity, cash is king. And you really need to understand your balance sheet as you move forward. Once you have a full understanding of those numbers, 
you can then propel yourself forward with your business because now you know what you're improving. It goes back to you can't improve what you can't measure. And if you're not measuring it, even less so of that ability. And because business is so tough, which is where he started, right? Business is difficult. You're going to run into people issues. You're going to run into sales issues. You're going to run into operational issues. You're going to run into technology issues. You're also going to run into financial issues. And you need to really have a good base of all of those. Um, I think it's a really important one. It's part of leadership. You know, I don't remember. I think it was a podcast guest of ours, but it, it may not have been in all uh, transparency. But I remember hearing somebody say, and it really resonated with me, people don't go out of business because of a bad P&L. They go out of business because they don't have money, because they don't have cash or credit. And it was like, ooh, that's interesting. You could be making money on a P&L and go out of business because you don't have cash or credit to fund your payroll or pay your suppliers. So for those of the listeners who uh, may not fully grasp how you could be profitable on a P&L, but go out of business because of cash, that would be an indicator to maybe further research financial acumen in the P&L balance sheet and cash flow, as John suggested. Uh, I'll say on another point, John, that can't do it alone. I wrote that down. The other thing I wrote down, though, is a message we've heard from a lot of guests recently, which is like, replace yourself. Yeah. So John said, you can't do it alone. And then he talked about taking the garbage out and so forth. And you can't grow a business to do that, which was essentially replace yourself. So somebody else takes out the garbage. So you could do something else, which is a touchback to um, executive level problems, which mm. came up a couple of podcasts ago. Yep. I just, that was a highlight for me and another ping of the universe talking to me on the importance of the replace yourself. Yeah. That's why I believe that, you know, part of the strategic planning purpose is a lot of CEOs that I found out there know why they're doing it. They know what they want to do and they try and go do it by hiring people to do the work. And what's failed, what's, what fails in that model is the people don't know why you're doing what you're doing. They don't know what you're ultimately trying to do. They're not involved in the strategic planning process. They, they just kind of show up and get their paycheck. And then when they get a better job, they leave and they go somewhere else. And that's a big, big problem we're seeing right now. Whereas the businesses that really engage their leadership teams and executive teams in a strategic plan, everybody knows why they're doing it. They have input into the plan that they're actually going to accomplish. And they see things starting to get accomplished. They're, they're, they get so much more bought into it. And he said something earlier, right? You have to uh, maintain talent by showing a pathway to success not even necessarily in your own business, a pathway to success. So, you know, when, when we see CEOs or leaders investing in their people to be successful in the workplace, outside of the workplace, caring about their family, caring about their livelihood, if they, if they get a, an opportunity to go work for another company and get a promotion, they're excited and they're having go away parties for this person who just had this great opportunity. It's a whole different shift then using people in the maybe in the control and command uh, conversation, right? You're controlling and commanding them to do something so that you can get a return. And that's short-lived now. This, today's workforce isn't looking for that. Hmm. On a separate point, uh, when you were talking about control and command, and I was thinking about strategy, and I was thinking about John, it brought me back to a place in my notes where he highlighted three current environmental issues that all businesses have. Supply chain issues, employee recruiting and retention issues, 
and inflation as an issue. Those yeah. seem like three places that every company should have a strategy for on how are you allocating resources, the allocation of scarce resources to solve supply chain issues. And if they're not here now, they may be in the future and solve employee recruiting or retention issues and how is inflation going to impact the business and what strategy are you taking to uh, insulate the business or not have it be impacted negatively? Yeah, Rich, that's a great callback. We, we've talked a lot on our episodes here about the great resignation and employees and how you should treat them better and retain them. And let's just assume that if our listeners went back and listened to our first 80 episodes we ever recorded, they'd get a good dose of that. We haven't really talked about supply chain and inflation. If we put them in the same bucket here for a second, and we'll just even go back 30 seconds ago to your question about how can you possibly generate profit and run out of business? Well, right now, there are companies that have bank loans or lines of credit at the bank that are paying 5% interest rates. And easily on a monthly basis, or not easily necessarily, but they pay you know their, their monthly interest rate to the bank on that note that they have. And those notes may be on their balance sheet for years. They owe the bank money, and that's okay. That's what the bank wants. They want to lend you money. But what happens when those interest rates become 15%, like back in the 1980s? And money that you've loaned over the years or to grow your business, now the monthly nut you got to send to the bank is more than how much you make in profits on a monthly basis in your business. Now what? Now what do you do? And you end up, as John had happened to him through his experience, in the turnaround department at the bank, where the bankers are now coming in to help you run your business because you don't have enough money to pay the interest rates because of inflation and everything kind of starts tumbling around you, right? So if you're a business right now, and you owe the bank money, or you owe anybody money for that matter, and there's a variable interest rate attached to it, you got to be a little scared right now. Because if that interest rate starts flying, and we know that the Fed's going to increase interest rates six to eight times again this year, um, that can become a problem. And it, it, it brings it right back to cash flow, Rich. And not to make this too much, but you, know, you, you end up right back in a cash flow problem where, yeah, you may have made enough money this month, the customer still haven't paid you for what you made and you owe the bank money, you end up in this cash flow problem, right? So uh, inflation and supply chain, in addition to employees, are the three great concerns. And having a strategic plan around them is a fantastic idea, uh, one that I think every business should have right now. And as hard as it can be to be in a cash flow problem or a cash flow issue, this idea of giving and it was a quote from you I wrote down that kind is giving with no expectation. And I certainly think John is kind in how he approaches it. He haven't even referenced the book, Getting Naked. That's a place where he got that uh, business philosophy. And I think that is so good. So often we look at with our clients or previous clients, a tactic of if we give them something, maybe we'll get something. And that's not actually kindness, to your point. That's trying to have reciprocity. That's an angle that's, depending on how it's gone about, that's borderline manipulation. Absolutely. It's like, if you can give just for the joy of giving in your business, mm -hmm. John's principle that he practices and it works is good things are going to happen for you and them next. Rich, I love that. I mean, by the way, I see that as a characteristic that you've always had as well, which is just give. 
be kind and give. And if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. But if you're going to get mad because you gave me something and I didn't give back to you, then you had an expectation. Were you just, were you being kind or to your point where you're trying to be manipulative? Were you trying to give me something so you get something back? Like, you know, what's the game here? And the other thing too, the rich, I loved that he talked about at the end when you asked him about, do you have a coach? For seven years, he worked with a coach and the whole objective was what is your contribution quest in your life? What is your contribution? I love the way that ended and it's something that I know you and I have talked a lot about in terms of, you know, what, what is our legacy? What do we want to leave behind? What, what, what is this all about? And you could definitely see John executing on that.